Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning one final time to the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, where we will be looking at the closing verses of this chapter. I know I put in your bulletin uh, 25 through 30, it's 25 through 34. Matthew 6, 25 through 34, and again you can find that passage on page 950 in your pew Bibles. As I just mentioned, we are coming this morning to the closing verses of this sixth chapter of Matthew. It's a subsection of the major theme that we have been considering in this sixth chapter over the last several weeks now. And that is this idea of the Christian walking, existing, living in a fallen world. Living in this fallen flesh with the effects of the fall all around him, all the while in relationship with our Heavenly Father because of the redemptive work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we have been talking of for weeks now, we now live as before the face of God, Coram Deo. And if you are at all familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, then you remember that Back at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5, you see very clearly who the intended audience for this sermon is. The intended audience for this sermon is those for whom the Beatitudes are true. In other words, this sermon is addressed to the true children of God, to those who have embraced Jesus Christ by faith, Solely because of the grace of Almighty God. The sermon is indeed then for the poor in spirit. It is a sermon for the meek. The sermon is for those who belong to the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. It is for those who have been led to mourn, having had their eyes opened by the Spirit of God to their own vile, wretched, sinful condition. It is for those who will have their eyes then turned from their sin and their shame towards the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And because of, because of that, we are told that they will be comforted. This sermon is for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who will be, according to Jesus Christ, filled by the very grace and power of Almighty God Himself. Those who, having been reconciled to the Father through the Son, having been shown unimaginable mercy, are even now, as they are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ in this life, extending that mercy to others. I'm not going to go through all of them this morning. We have considered them together before, but I trust that you get the point that this sermon is instruction, not for the world, but for those who by the grace of God have been called out of the world and have been reconciled to the Father in and through Jesus Christ. And it is that relationship that is being illuminated for us here in this sixth chapter of Matthew. The relationship of the true children of God living now in this veil of tears. It is our relationship 
to our Father who is in heaven. We have seen the effects of that relationship have been pointed out to us here. Jesus really is comprehensive in his treatment of our lives as the declared sons and daughters of Almighty God here. We see that all we do here is cover. Both our private lives as well as our public lives. His teaching is not some far out theoretical ideal. It's not something that is out there where we can just barely reach it. But it is, for all intents and purposes, intensely practical, isn't it? He deals here with all that we do in both our public and our private lives. He covers things like our prayer lives. He talks about our our attempts to do righteousness, our acts of piety, our worship, our fasting, our giving, our nurture, the cultivation of our spiritual lives, as well as the vast scope of our relationship to this world that we are for now called to live in. We are to be separated from the world unto God. Now that does not mean that we are to become just introspective hermits or monks who live only to cultivate our own personal spiritual lives, but we are called to live as salt and light in the world. Motivated not by the praises of men, not by the things of this world, but by thankfulness. Thankfulness which issues forth from our hearts when we realize that though we are sinners, Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again to reconcile us to our Heavenly Father once and for all. As we are motivated towards obedience to Almighty God and His Word because of our gratefulness for His salvation, we are to live amid this fallen world bringing glory to our Father in heaven as he brings glory to himself in and through us, his chosen vessels. So we live for him and not for the world. And there are implications to that. We recognize that in this life we truly are pilgrims. We are just passing through We are making our way through this troubled life, ever inching onward towards our eternal home in the glory of heaven. To live as if this world were all that there were to truly live for would be ludicrous for the child of God. For the one who knows that Jesus, in Jesus Christ, he lives and he breathes and he has his being. The one who has been recreated, the one who has been made new. The one who has died to himself and been born again. And of course we know that the guile and the craft of our enemy Satan in this world is great. And he seeks to draw us, the very sons and daughters of God, away from our rest. Away from our comfort. And ultimately away from the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. And I would imagine this morning... That all of us here, in spite of everything we know, in spite of the fact that we know that this sermon is for us, that we are those who in Christ 
know that the Beatitudes are true for us. In spite of it all, we also know what it is to live in fear and to hang on to doubts and worry and anxiety. I'm sure it's not just me. We know what it is to be crippled by fear of the unknown. And Jesus certainly knew that we would be fearful, and so he dealt with it very specifically here, where he is drawing distinctions between living in this world for the glory of God and simply living in this world for this world alone. Some of us undoubtedly are anxious about many things. Even right now, this morning, as we sit here in the house of God with our sole purpose in being here is to worship Him and to glorify Him, to enjoy the life that we have been so graciously given in Him. Even this morning, we find ourselves thinking, what about my job? How am I going to be able to afford this newest expense that has been forced upon me? How am I going to feed my family? What if inflation and the the price of gasoline continue to rise at the current staggering rate? What then? What if people find out this or that secret that I've buried in my life? What if it's drug into the light? What about this church? What will become of this church? What will become of my belongings? What will become of this building? What will become of my children? It's not difficult, is it? Even here in the sanctuary, our flesh rails against the Spirit of God within us, calling us to the cares of this world. Enticing us with the temporal and the temporary so that we can never truly find peace in the eternal. Beloved, can you relate to that this morning? I'm asking you, is anxiety a reality in your life? Not simply a prudent concern, but a nagging doubt. A constant worry which in some cases can even lead to the point of becoming physically ill. Well, beloved, if you do, if I'm describing you this morning, then I hope that you will hear from the Word of God this morning the very clear, very simple, very direct, very assuring teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning about anxiety. Because He talks to us about its cause, its effects, and its cure. So I'd like you to follow along with me this morning as we read from the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of our Lord, and may he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Father, again, we're grateful for the opportunity we have to come before your word this morning. We pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the many, many, many things that distract us in this life. We pray, Father, that we would give our full attention to the glorious truth of your word so that hearing these words through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be transformed by them to live for your glory and at peace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved, I'm going to let you in on a a little secret this morning. This is absolutely one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Now, of course, I do not mean by that that I hold this Scripture above other Scriptures, but simply that I think that we see something very clearly here of the unmatched wisdom and the incomprehensible mercy of our Lord towards us, His lowly sheep, in a way that really stands out here in the sixth chapter of Matthew. Something that is intensely practical and needed for us in this life. We see here that Jesus knows the heart of man so completely that he knows that we will, by our own sinful natures, be led to disregard his many, many warnings about worldliness and its many entrapments, even for the child of God, that will continually come and rob us of the peace that we ought to be living in Him. Many of you, many of us, I should say, no doubt understand exactly what I'm saying. Even now, as we are ready to embark on a look at the source of anxiety in this life, even now some of us are probably circling the wagons of our own minds, preparing our justifications for all of our worry, all of our anxious thoughts, all of our fears, all of our rest-stealing doubts this morning. I know what they sound like. I've heard them many, many times from my own flesh. Oh, you don't understand. You don't know me. You don't know my life. After all, I'm the one who has the responsibility to look after my family. 
I'm the one who has the responsibility of making decisions that are going to shape and mold the very lives of my children. My friends, my spouse. It's easy for you to say, to stand up there apart from my life and say, do not worry. You have no idea what my life is like. Beloved, have you heard any of those justifications for your own worry already ringing in your ears this morning? Well, I want to tell you, Jesus knew that you would. And so here at the concluding portion of his discussion of our need to flee worldliness and how it is that we are to look to our Father in heaven, he makes crystal clear for his sheep exactly what worry is, exactly where it comes from, and how we should rid our lives of it altogether. And I say that this is a favorite passage for me, and it is so because it's one of those areas where I think Scripture makes very, very clear what we try in vain to make sort of fuzzy with all of our excuses and our perfectly pleasant and altogether pious-sounding justifiers and qualifiers. That's one reason. Another reason is that this is one of those places in Scripture, where we are placed face-to-face with the beautiful comfort and the overwhelming assurance of that grand doctrine of the providence of Almighty God. A doctrine that we, as Reformed believers, confess. Coming to a proper understanding of this wonderful doctrine will fill the child of God with peace As he or she looks to the creator of the universe to sustain what we have created, what he has created, and what he uses in his creation for his own glory, just as he has promised us that he would do. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answers 27 and 28, we find very plain language as they speak very clearly about what we believe concerning the providence of Almighty God. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. I'm going to read both of them to you in just a moment, and I want to challenge you today, even throughout this coming week, to take some time and to consider these two questions of the Catechism and the implication that they have for your lives as they simply reiterate what Jesus Christ is teaching the church here in Matthew chapter 6. First, question 27 asks this question. What do you understand by the providence of God? And this is the answer. I want you to consider its scope. The almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that the herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. You understand? All things. That's the scope. 
even your current terrible, difficult circumstance. So we understand the providence of God to mean that he created the world and everything in it and that he alone, as the creator of all things, he alone upholds it, he sustains it, he directs it, all by the might and the power of his own hand, a hand that's not simply just omnipotent, but fatherly as well. And it's important. Beloved, can you see why this doctrine, very clearly revealed to us in the pages of sacred scripture, affords the child of God so much comfort right now in this life, wherever you're at? Whatever you're dealing with. Listen then to question 28 as it describes the benefits that we have in coming to this comforting knowledge. Question 28. What does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, And for what is future, have good confidence in our faithful God and Father. That no creature shall separate us from his love. Since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Are you getting a... A picture in your mind of how big this is. Of how big God is. Having heard the teaching of Jesus in the passage before us for our consideration this morning, I trust that you can already see the way that the catechism is simply reiterating for us what Jesus has so clearly already said. What does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things? Is it so we can justify our worry and our fear? So that we can explain to others the reason that we remain righteous in our anxiety and our worry and our fear? Well, of course not. In fact, beloved, it does the opposite. It points us to the sovereign hand of Almighty God who alone upholds and sustains all things which he himself created and is even now in your current circumstance directing towards your ultimate good and his glory. Do you believe that? Listen to the words of Jesus here in verse 25. He's just explained in the preceding verses That we have but one master. That we cannot, however we may try in vain to delude ourselves, we cannot serve both God and this world or the wealth of this world. We will love the one and hate the other or we will serve one loyally all the while despising the other. Then he says, therefore, I say to you, and I want you to remember who the I in that statement is. This is the word of God himself. The word made flesh. This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the second person of the glorious Godhead, the Son of God. And he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. 
Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And if you are wondering just how seriously Jesus takes this matter of anxiety and its tie to the love of this world, I want you to note he repeats himself here three times in the closing words of this chapter. He repeats his command that we, as the children of our Heavenly Father, are not to worry about this light. He says it three times. In verse 25, he says it in verse 31, and he says it again in verse 34. Do you see it? Jesus has clearly said we are not to worry about the stuff of this life. Why? Is it that Jesus just cannot relate with us fallen creatures, and so consequently he cannot really understand what it's like to go through what we go through in this life? Is Jesus just some head-in-the-clouds idealist who says things knowing full well that we cannot really do them? What does Jesus mean when he speaks with the authority of God himself and he says, do not worry, three times in four verses? I've said it to you before, the most often repeated command in all the Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. Nothing's even close. Well, what could he mean? Well, beloved, he means exactly what he said. We are not to worry. Why? Let me ask you this. What is your life? What really is your life? How is it? That we came to live and breathe and have a particular existence in this life. I trust that even the most worried of us here this morning would agree with me that we were created by Almighty God. God alone is the giver of life. It was God alone who formed us in our mother's wombs. It's only God that can give to mankind or any created thing the precious breath of life. We exist in and for him and for his glory. We are his possession. We've talked about it, right? When we looked at the Lord's Prayer in this chapter, it's a reoccurring theme here in this sixth chapter. And try as we may here to add some cloudiness to the words of Jesus, he really doesn't leave room for it. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Food sustains our earthly life. It allows for us to remain and to thrive and grow as we ought to grow. Clothing protects our bodies from the damaging effects of the sun and the rain and the snow, the extreme heat and the extreme cold. It's a protection for the body. It's also a covering of our shame, which resulted from the fall. It was only after the fall that Adam and Eve even became aware that they were naked in the presence of God. And so God mercifully covered them. But certainly we would agree that life consists of much more than just eating and getting dressed. And so we come back to the providence of Almighty God. He created all things and He will. He certainly does sustain and uphold all things that he himself created for his own purpose, his own glory. To suggest anything less 
would be to make God much less than he has revealed himself to be in his word. If we think that Almighty God created us, and that he now stands aloof, wringing his supposedly omnipotent hands in worry as he watches us and hopes that we will eventually figure things out, hopes that we will not make decisions that will frustrate his perfect will, or that he's watching the creation to see what it will do, remaining powerless to be involved in the day-to-day activities of his creation, then, beloved, we are not speaking of the God of Scripture. We are maybe describing the God of the deist, but we have certainly not described Almighty God, as he describes himself to us in the pages of the Bible. God, as he has revealed himself to us in his infallible, inerrant, and holy word, is completely sovereign. There's none higher. There's never a moment of stepping away from his throne. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't leave rule of his creation to chance. Do you understand the implications of that? Because they're much bigger than what we see on the surface. If you think that you are somehow outside of the realm of his control, that he remains powerless to stop you from your fate, then, beloved, I am afraid that the God that you are worshiping this morning is nothing more than an idol of your own vain imagination. If there is anything in this entire sphere of creation that remains somehow outside of the scope of God's power, then, of course, he's not at all omnipotent, and he's something much, much less than God. And all of your worry is the product of your own stellar logic, your own supposedly infallible wisdom, your own good sense, and not, of course, what it is, the product of your sin. However, be praise be to God that he gives us no such picture of himself or, or no such picture of us, for that matter. Listen to Jesus explain the glorious, comforting providence of Jesus with simple illustrations. He uses birds and flowers. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You get the point. Birds have no ability to reason about the outlook for food. No call to prepare for the future. They were not made in the image of God like man, and they're not called to spend their days providing for their future sustenance. They are to rely entirely upon their creator to fill the earth with the proper plants, insects, worms, or prey that they need in order to survive. And God sustains them. They speak to his glory as they eat their fill day in, day out. 
though they neither plant nor reap nor harvest. They are entirely dependent upon the will of the one who created them as to whether they live or they die. And Jesus follows it up just to reiterate his point. He says, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? This is where we need to bring these justifiers and these qualifiers. Have you ever thought about that? I want to ask you something this morning. I want you to think long and hard about your own life. What have you managed to accomplish with all of your justifiable worry? Who of you, with your worrying and your fretting and your anxious doubting, has added even a foot and a half to the length of your life? Who of you can add one second to the length of your days through the power of your worry? Beloved, you get a sense of the futility of it here, do you not? You are worrying that things are out of control, that they're out of your control. They were never in it. Do you believe that? That's what the testimony of the word of God says. You are not sovereign. You are not God. Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. You understand the field, it never does a lick of work. No gathering, no toil, no spinning. And yet even Solomon, that great King Solomon, in his most regal getup, was never arrayed like one of them. If your Father in heaven, again, it's that word that should fill us with hopeful expectation. It's repeated in this chapter again and again and again. That word Father. If your Father in heaven, that word describes for us what kind of relationship we have with Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. It's the kind of relationship that he gives us with himself. We are the children of our heavenly Father. If he, our Father, so clothes the field, which is here today and used for fuel tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Beloved, do you feel the weight of that statement? God creates and finishes and accomplishes perfectly his purpose and creation. Do you see? We exist for his glory and he will be glorified in us. He is God. It's not up for debate. It's not left to our vain speculation. We belong to God who loves us, not as a boss loves a good and loyal employee, but as a father and not just any father, the father. The father from whom all fatherhood derives its very name. The father who has declared his love for you as his child. Because you have been bought with the exorbitant price of the blood of Jesus Christ, you belong 
to him. You have been reconciled to the father of all creation. And he says in his word that he loves you as his very own precious child. Do you understand? Why do we worry? Why do we give in to a life of anxiety and hand-wringing when our Father in Heaven, who created us, who reconciled us to Himself through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who has made us heirs of eternal life and the innumerable blessings that go with that eternal inheritance, why do we worry when He has revealed to us in His Word that we will most certainly be fed and clothed, our lives will be sustained according to his perfect will. That we exist for his glory alone and we will, he will most certainly be glorified. Why do we worry? Why do we fret? Why do we fight to hang on to it? When we know firsthand how destructive it is to our peace. Beloved, the simple truth is we worry. We are carried away with anxiety. We fret when we care too much for this world and all of its stuff. Jesus has been talking about, warning about worldliness, and he still is. We worry when we cling too tightly to the things of this world. Things like our careers, our family, our riches, our rights, our desire to be in control, our desire to be respected and remembered. It's all been dealt with here, hasn't it? And I, I don't need to point it out. You know firsthand what thing it is that competes with Almighty God for your devotion, which thing God says belongs to Him. Beloved, do you hear the Word of God this morning? Are you still hanging on to your right to live in fear and worry? Do you see the futility of it? Brothers and sisters in Christ, will you trust wholeheartedly the God who's not simply just over your salvation and somehow disinterested with the rest of your life, but the one who is moving heaven and earth together, the one who moves all things together for the good of those who love him and keep his commands, those who belong to him? Do you know the peace that comes? When we understand that we are truly just passing through this world on our way to a glorious, glorious eternal home where we will worship Almighty God face to face. We're only here, in, here now in this time, in this place, in your current circumstance because our Father who is in heaven has willed it to be so. Can you accept that? It's easy when things are going well. But your adversity is the providence of Almighty God in your life. That's more difficult, isn't it? You are here this morning being fed the word of God because your Father in heaven has willed it to be so. What is your perspective on this life? Beloved, when you come to grips with it, it will speak volumes to you about your problems with worry and anxiety. You know, I know I'm guilty of talking about my dad way too much, but I'll never forget seeing this principle being grasped by the grace of God by someone whom I love very deeply and who seemed at times in his life to be the farthest thing from God's possession. 
One of the greatest blessings that God has given to me in my 49 years of life upon this earth was getting to see my father grasp the gospel and the sovereignty of God by the grace of Almighty God and trust him with his life and his death alike. I'm always going to cherish the day that my dad was sharing with me his intense fears of the unknown facing certain death. My dad was dying He knew he was dying. He knew that it was inevitable. He was full of cancer, and as the cancer literally ripped through his already failing body, causing him pain like I've never witnessed before, my dad looked me in the face in his fear, and he told me that he was afraid of what it would be like to die. And whether or not he was really going to be ready to, to face death. And I was able to talk to him about the God who created him. And the God who finishes everything he begins. The God who's faithful. The God who did not stop at simply giving him life, but who had in his mercy sustained that life for almost 68 years. The God who never for a moment, is off of his throne, who's always in control. The God who loved him, not because of his merit to be be loved. My father was well aware of the offensiveness of his sin before a holy God at the end of his life. But a God who loved him despite of what everyone knew him to be, God included. As we talked And understanding began to gleam in my father's eyes. I thought of the catechism that was sitting there on the table beside his chair, which I had given him to read so that he and I could discuss it. And I said, Dad, I I, I can promise you this. You will not die one second sooner or one second later than Almighty God intends for you to die. And you are never out of his fatherly hand. And then I picked up that catechism and I said, Dad, let me sum up the glory of the providence of God and the joy of salvation by reading you just the first question of that catechism. And I read it through my tears. And as I read question and answer one, my dad smiled and he said, Steve, That makes perfect sense to me. Thank you. And I saw peace come and fear go away as my father faced the arms of death that even in that moment were growing tighter and tighter around him. And I want to end with that question and answer from the catechism this morning because I know, I know that many of us know it by heart. And I hope that your knowing it word for word will not stop you from seeing your own need to meditate on its precious truth, especially in relation to the teaching of Jesus Christ here about worry this morning. So I want you to listen as I close with question and answer one from the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I with body and soul both in life and in death, am not my own, 
but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto him. Beloved, the time to let go of your worry is right now. Trust the God who not only gives you the breath of life, but who sustains that breath for all of the days that he has ordained for you to live under the sun. The God who does not simply offer you salvation and wonder what you're going to do with it, but who provides the means of that salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ and then by the power of his spirit drives you to that means. All that is needed for your life is given to you. You will bring glory to Almighty God, beloved. You will. And it's my prayer that trusting Him that you will learn to bask in the riches of His grace and to enjoy Him and His blessings to the fullest as you do so. Whether it comes from a time of ease or adversity like you've never known, your days are in the hands of your heavenly Father who is moving you towards dependence upon Him, preparing you for eternity in His presence. Amen? Let's pray.